Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight to be with you all on this Tuesday, December 1st of 2020. This is the last month of the year, and I tell you what, what a year that we have had. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was actually yesterday before I was going to bed, I, I was watching someone on YouTube made a slideshow of all the natural uh, catastrophes that have happened from January all over the world. It's been a year like we've never seen, at least not in my lifetime, not in my short lifetime that I have. I've never, ever seen such a year. And we still have another month left of 2020. So who knows what's on its way, what's here. But we can say that God has been faithful. Amen. He's kept us. And God is doing something. And God is still moving by his spirit and speaking to us. That being said, we want to welcome all our listeners today to our uh, podcast today. Yesterday, we were able to begin uh, a study uh, on a subject that I think it's of the utmost importance of the coming of the Lord. And we're excited about what God is going to speak to us today and what God has for us this week. But we want to say just how honored we are uh, to have your presence here with us, for you to join us and be able to fellowship and glean from the Word of God. And we know that uh, if your heart's open, your spirit's open, God will speak to you. He'll speak to your heart and confirm His Word in your life. So let's get ready to study the Word of God. Joining us in our panel today is Brother Marty and Brother Fernando. And as always, it is an honor to be able to study the Word of God with my brothers. And uh, Brother Marty, We'll leave it to you as we continue in this beautiful journey and, and really speaking about things that I believe that are that there's questions in, in, in our hearts and the listeners that are asking, and I believe that God is uh, has fresh manna for us today. So I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. We're continuing our podcast series called We Told You Before. This is part two of We Told You Before. We began to explore yesterday what the Apostle Paul uh, was encouraging the, thir- uh, the church at Thessalonica to understand about their particular times. And as Brother Fernando pointed out yesterday, uh, that they as well uh, were examples and were meant to be instructionary historical examples. Uh, for a church that would find itself coming up under the similar circumstances of tribulation, persecution, and uh, and peril, really, uh, that would require faith, patience, and endurance to go through it. The first two letters of the book of Thessalonians, the uh, first two letters, the only two letters that we have in our scripture, uh, in the two letters, Paul reveals probably more detail than any of the other letters. I'm sure we could uh, go through, of course, every letter, letter talks about the coming of the Lord, but there is so much extraordinary information that was given to the early church. We take the principle of God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, and we apply them to our understanding. And so with that in mind, when we look at the early church, what we are literally seeing is a type, a foreshadow. Though it's a true history that happened, it is also in its beginning a a miniature or microcosmic look at uh, what would ultimately uh, 
flourish and come to absolute fruition around the whole world in the end of time. Now, we believe we've reached those times. And so we're going to continue as we go into this series uh, to lay the foundation um, and, and begin to explore why we believe uh, that much of what we've been taught concerning the end times in the, uh, in the American church in particular uh, is now coming under the uh, scrutiny of the times. And the doctrine that we're particularly looking at is called the, the pre-tribulation rapture. Now, we're not going to get into it at length today, but we're going to continue to lay a foundation that will ultimately lead us into that subject this week as we go along. So we encourage you, if you have questions or have wondered or even want to argue, that's fine uh, with us because, uh, you know, really our, our goal is to explore the Word of God and see what the Word says and, and then draw our conclusions from that. And so with that in mind, we're going to continue to, to, to explore these subjects today, uh, and we're going to look at it uh, as we go forward, um, again, laying the foundation. As we go forward in this week, we're going to be looking at the many things that, uh, from a different point of view, you know, in, in, in the sense of what you may have heard throughout tradition. Uh, but again, our foundational understanding comes from the Word of God, and that's what we hold to. So we ask you to have your Bibles as we begin today. I'm going to ask Brother Jeremy to start us off today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we will read verse 3 and 4 as we begin our discussion today for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, Brother Jeremy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And Amen. don't forget to give your mute button on. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other ab abounded, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Wow. So he says, your faith groweth exceedingly in all your persecution, tribulations that you endure. As we've been discussing and exploring, it is, it's an almost foreign concept to, to the Western church, especially as we come into the 21st century in the United States. Uh, this concept and this idea that we would be persecuted or come up under any kind of tribulation, it's just almost a, 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 a foreign thought and a foreign concept. But as we have come into 2020, we have begun to see uh, that much of what we thought uh, and have been taught over the last hundred years, really, uh, in, in, in the Pentecostal charismatic church and uh, the denominational world, the more orthodox part of it, uh, is coming under the uh, intense scrutiny of the times, like we said. And, and it's with that in mind, you know, that, that I really want to reflect today. You know, we, we're living in, in, in most uncertain times. And, you know, there's a great and a growing sense that it's something ominous, something very uncertain, almost like a shadow. Um, it's, it's descending and has descended across the earth. I think many of you 
can relate to that. At least there's this sense of, of uh, anxiety at times or uncertainty. And here in America, really, the nation finds itself, as we were discussing before we started today, it's, it's as if we're hanging over the precipice of, of uncertainty. And within the community of the church, you know, the year 2020, it's brought with it uh, many sweeping changes. Uh, the church doors are shut. Congregations have struggled to maintain their fellowship. And on the national stage, you know, the voices of the charismatic Pentecostal and in some circles, the denominational establishment ministries, they've really been exposed as 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 void of any meaningful word of direction for the churches for the people countless false dreams and visions and words really if you remember they flowed almost with an arrogant confidence at the beginning of the year um that that declared that there would be a certain election victory for for the president as well as a short-lived declaration concerning the so-called coronavirus that it too would all go away by easter and then by summer, they said, and of course, their predictions, along with a whole bunch of other things that they said would happen, have all fallen to the wayside. And really what 2020 has really exposed is, is just how far the church in America has drifted from true biblical orthodoxy, true biblical understanding. And, you know, as the 20th century came to a close, when I think about it, you know, the church in America grew prosperous beyond belief as we closed out you know the 80s and the 90s and came into the 21st century a sense of entitlement began to grow ministries became corporate organizations and, and many of them imitating the world uh, major christian public publishing houses you know came came about many christian so-called music labels Mega media empires grew, the Daystars, DBNs, the God Channels. I mean, go down the list. Um, all of them grew into these massive empires, almost like a, really into a monolith. I like to call it a monolith of great compromise. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I don't know how else to say this, but it's almost like a, like a skilled, I don't know what, rodeo cowboy riding on the back of an untamable bull, uh, a prophetic a prophetic doctrine called the pre-tribulation rapture uh, rode all across the 20th century into the 21st century on the back of a compromised American Christianity. And really, it's taken its place in the 21st century. And the American church mentality that 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 really has as a result of this doctrine i believe it's grown it's grown soft and and it's become a fitting and perfect image of the laodicean church that we find in revelation chapter 3 it's become rich increased with good and has need of nothing and like laodicea uh it was so you know, it ended up being pictured with the Lord, how what is, you know, standing outside the church, knocking on a door, asking who's going to open it. And sadly, for many decades, no one came to open the door. And then 2020 arrived. And they all became silent. 
And today, again, we want to begin to examine this pre-tribulation theology that we believe um, has contributed to where we are today. And and, and we're going to take our time, and, and, and we're going to, you know, we, we, we're going to attempt to be very thorough about what we're going to teach in these next several days. And we believe that this teaching, you know, uh, I believe this. I, I'm not going to speak for my brothers, but I believe this teaching is a, is a great deception uh, that it was perpetrated upon the church by the enemy himself, the devil himself. Remember, the devil doesn't always come in, you know, showing his horns and his tail, you know, so to speak. But he always comes riding in on the back of some sort of a truth, a part truth. And Paul said that he manifests himself as an angel of light. Jesus, like Brother Jeremy talked about yesterday, warned us that it would be false teachers, false anointed ones that would deceive many. I believe that this doctrine, this teaching, uh, is a great deception. Now, that might trouble some of you out there. Because it's such a sacred cow in the Pentecostal charismatic church, especially, and in many Baptist circles, it's something that challenges, uh, you know, established theology within those circles that we've witnessed over the last hundred years. And when you bump up against it, people get pretty darn riled up over it. Some people. No, I, even, I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> Go ahead, brother. Again, going back, going back to that word and sample that the Thessalonians were. In the Greek, that word means pattern, and we brought that out yesterday. Yeah. Um, so so they are a pattern of a future persecution. But remember, what also was taking place within the church was, was, was this uh, doctrine that the day of the Lord had already come. So not only are they a pattern uh, of, of persecution, but they also serve as a pattern of, for the end-time church that a strange doctrine will come to uh, seduce them uh, or seduce the end-time church and, and bring uh, confusion. Yeah. So we have to understand it from that aspect, that this church represents everything that will take place in the last days, including confusion concerning the coming of the Lord doctrinally. So you have to ask the question, where's the confusion coming from? What doctrine where where is leaving Christians unprepared today? Yeah, one can only point to one, and it's, it's the doctrine we're talking about here—the pre-tribulation doctrine. No, that's an excellent point. You know, and, and like 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 we were saying, you know, I believe it is a great deception, and and it's been perpetrated on the church by the devil. That's a really good point. That you know what you were just sharing there, what was going on and circulating <laughs> through the Thessalonian church. Uh, it became a hotbed in the early church for for prophetic teachers. Paul actually, at the end of uh, of Second Thessalonians, can you read that to us, Brother Jeremy? In Second Thessalonians, uh, verse sixteen and seventeen, chapter yes. three, chapter three. Yes, it says, uh, "Now the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always, by all means. The Lord be with you all." Verse 17. No, no, verse 17. 17. The, the salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is the token in, in every epistle, so I write. Yes, he had to emphasize 
that what he was teaching to them in First Thessalonians, and now this second letter of Second Thessalonians is which was where we started today, wherein they're experiencing persecution and tribulation and, and endurance, and the very faith and patience was being tried, and yet there were these erroneous prophetic concepts and and pseudo theology that had begun to circulate within that church. Um, and and uh, and there were others that were actually, if you do a historical search on these things, you'll find that there were others that were writing uh, false uh, prophecies or prophetic understanding and using Paul's name. And so it was bringing incredible confusion to the church and their and their prophetic understanding, like you guys were saying, like you just said, Brother Fernando, it was designed to confuse the church that is a type, even though a historical truth was actually fulfilling a prophetic type for the end time church. So that alerts us to the fact that one of the clues and one of the signposts that we were to look for and guard against, especially as we enter into these uh, tribulation like time periods or the beginning of sorrows, whatever label you want to put on it would be just that. And like brother Jeremy shared yesterday, many false Christ, false anointed ones bringing in heresies and doctrines, uh, that would that would uh, confuse many and cause many's faith to be shipwrecked. And so Paul emphasizes when he gets to the end of Second Thessalonians, there I'm signing this in my own hand writing, so that you'll know that what I have just taught you is absolutely solid from the Holy Spirit through me to you. That's why he goes on in chapter two, verse one and two. Could you read verse one and two, Brother Jeremy? Yes. Now we beseech you, brethren. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So what they were teaching, prophetically speaking, in their doctrine, these false teachers were coming in, was the timing of the coming of the Lord. And 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 what they were causing was many people to become confused because they were teaching these things and it wasn't happening the way that they said, that the return of the Lord wasn't at hand. And Paul begins to open up incredible revelation, which we'll look at in the coming days, but he goes on to reveal the coming of the Antichrist, the defiling of the temple of God, the falling away of the church, so forth and so on. And he says, so don't let anybody trouble you with some sort of erroneous doctrine, some sort of letter or somebody where he says by spirit, you know, someone has a vision, someone feels the anointing and thus saith the Lord. I mean, that's what they were doing, man. Or right. or by word. You know, I have a word, I have a prophetic word from the Lord. How much are we hearing that today? You know, if you're paying attention and, and you and you listen to all these knuckleheads like we researched <laughs> listen to what they say but he, the same thing right he says not by some spirit you know they feel the spirit or not by some prophetic word or even by some book they write not by letter um that you know what they were teaching was wrong and so he emphasizes as he goes on and he starts talking about the revelation of the antichrist the mystery of iniquity the working of satan the falling away of the church he said all these things have to happen before jesus returns and so that brought comfort to them. But again, what, what points you brought up, Brother Fernando, excellent, because that's exactly what happened. They were being uh, given teaching that was designed by the devil um, to, to create 
deception and, and confusion. And as you said, that word in samples in chapter one, I believe it is, of First Thessalonians, that you, your, your examples to all the churches around you, is the same word that he used in First Corinthians chapter 10, I believe it is, where he said that, or Second Corinthians, I think, where he said that that what happened to Israel was an example to us upon whom the ends of the of the of the world have come. So likewise, the, the Thessalonian church was meant to be uh, an example and a foreshadow for the end time church to go back and see. See, Paul knew, or at least the Spirit right. knew, right, that we would be drawn to these writings in the end of time because they apply to our time, and so. The, the the one he wrote he wrote to the churches he wrote to at that time and revealed this information is just further uh you know uh, proof text that that we are we are hearing uh exactly what he wants us to hear at the right and appropriate time so anyway yeah. the great deception right uh it was perpetrated upon the church for what in our time i believe to put us to sleep and, and to bring us into uh, into incredible confusion and disillusion. Go ahead, brother Jeremy. Yeah, and, and again, to what you what you have been saying, what brother uh, Fernando just said again, is uh, Matthew twenty four. Again, uh, Jesus is responding to a question, three questions concerning the the signs or the end of time, the end of the world, the, his coming, and so his response is answering that question. So when he says, take heed that no man deceive you, right? Many shall come yeah. in my name. He's not just talking about, I mean, yeah, you can apply it to false doctrine and all that, but he's talking about specifically about things concerning his coming. Yeah. And, and and that's a great, you know, I've never seen it like that until we were, you made me think about it. And I believe, you know, that's an, I've never seen it. That's what he's speaking about when he speaks. People are going to come in my name, just like you were giving the example of Paul, people writing uh, letters using his name, right? <laughs> people are going to come in the name of Christ, saying Christ said this, thus it. And what, and what it is, you hit it, I, I believe it with all my heart, too. I agree with you, Brother Marty. It is to bring confusion, to thwart the, 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 the thinking of what it is, how, you know, the expectation of the people in these days. That's why the, the people are so confused. They don't know what to believe. There's a sleeping. That's what this doctrine has brought. What you said, a slothfulness, you know, and, and again, no need to, to, to read and to know the book of Revelation because it does not apply to us and so forth right. and so on. So, uh, you and, know, that is, again, and, that is, and that's right. That's what they say, right, in, in some circles is that, you know, the oh, book yeah. of Revelation isn't there for us. It's for uh, the what they call the tribulation saints. You know, they, they try mm -hmm. and do a, a tap dance around this. But again, we believe that that's, and we'll get into those things in the coming days, but we do believe mm -hmm. this is a great deception that's been perpetrated upon the church. And I know that that makes people very angry, you know, because we've become so, you know, categorized, quantified, we, you know, we put it away in our little theological file cabinets. We've got it all mm -hmm. down, every T crossed, every I dotted. We know how it's going to work out. Through the 50s, 60s, and 70s, they drew these massive charts, right? Everything We got it all down. This is how it's going to happen. Well, unfortunately <laughs> for them, it hasn't happened that way. And so they've had to adjust and, you know, do all these, you know, kind of doctrinal tap dances to, to, to try and cling to their, you know, to their theology. But in the meantime, the reality on the ground is a lot different than, than right. the reality of their theological seminaries, right? 
So mm-hmm. indeed, a great deception has been perpetrated on the church. And I think it's in order to put it, put us to sleep. And like Brother Fernando was just saying, it, it's brought about incredible confusion and dissolution. Mm-hmm. So that when the tribulation and the persecution arises, like Jesus said, it chokes the word. And yeah. and in the latter day, right, uh, the compro- compromised in this latter day compromised American Christianity, uh, the word has become unfruitful. And so there's many aspects to this pre-tribulation teaching. But number one uh, is the idea that the church won't have to suffer any tribulation. That's why we we uh, we we had Brother Jeremy start us off with verse four. Uh, of Second of, of Thessalonians, where Paul specifically uses the word tribulation and persecution. And so uh, to, to teach that the church will never suffer tribulation, uh, I understand what they're referencing, but it's not consistent with Scripture. Because the teaching, it says that, that what, there, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation period, right? And they teach us that we, uh, that seven-year tribulation period cannot occur this is the, you know, what it says in, in the Schofield Bible and throughout all the different places where it's taught. But they say that the seven-year tribulation period, uh, which is the final seven years of human history, they say, can't occur until the church is raptured. And then it teaches that the church will be removed before the tribulation. That's what we're talking about. That's what's created this sense of of lethargy or apathetic attitudes toward prophecy i don't even need to know prophecy i mean what's the difference i'm going to be taken out of here anyway right so who cares i mean and that and what emerged from that i mean it's so subtle at its at its inception in the early 1900s but what emerged from that are doctrines that we see so uh you know self-centered and ego-driven uh laodicean-like mentalities I'm rich, I'm increased with good, I pursue everything that has to do with this temporary life. I no longer set my sights on things above, because really I don't know the day or the hour, so what's really going to happen, Jesus is going to come at any time. He could take me tonight, tomorrow, it don't matter. Uh, You know, the book of Revelation and the other prophets were written specifically just so we'd have some good coffee table discussions, but it doesn't apply to us. It teaches that the church will be removed (laughs) before the tribulation, and that at that time, uh, that that all of a sudden all the tension is going to turn, prophetically speaking, exclusively to Israel, whom they call what the elect, right? They they, they try to say that Israel is the elect, and that and that the church is gone, and then they begin to do these these uh, word plays and and begin to like put labels on different uh, you know concepts of of their prophetic erroneous prophetic theology and 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 they really try to fit it into this concept that was developed in the late 19th century and and then you know flourished in the 20th century but in, in essence what they're saying is that the church is exempt from end time peril or suffering or tribulation and i want to ask today and then we're going to lay this foundation first we want to ask is that true is does the bible teach that the church is exempt from tribulation and persecution. Well, we started out reading, no, obviously that's not the case. And especially if we take the line of thinking, as Brother Fernando has been teaching, that the Thessalonian church is an example to the end-time church. And and if that's the case, then we, we pick up the story right away when we're reading. This is a church up under great stress and being surrounded 
by uh, by enemies on all sides, and and that their patience and faith is flourishing up underneath that. But nonetheless, they use very descriptive words such as persecution and tribulation and endurance, the very kind of words that are used all throughout the teachings of the Lord, all throughout the teachings of the prophets, and all throughout the book of Revelation. So let's 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 see if this teaching uh, is accurate, this predominant thinking that the church isn't appointed to any kind of tribulation in the end times. I think we can see that that's not true. And, and in order to do that, we're going to look at what, what the Lord himself said, the Lord Jesus. Let, let's read that, Brother Jeremy, in, uh, in St. John's Gospel, chapter 16. Could you read verse 31 to 33 to us, please? Jesus answered them, Do you know, do you now believe? Behold, the hour cometh. Yeah, it's now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is incredible what he's revealing here, but our attention is drawn uh, to what he said. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, that's a good piece to begin to lay a case, but it doesn't bring a solid, you know, convincing, absolute 100% saying, okay, so you're going to go through the tribulation. Well, uh, again, we need to understand it from a mature point of view. Uh, as the scripture reveals itself, understanding that when these statements are made, that Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover. The Lord is just hours away uh, from his trial, really from Gethsemane, his trial, uh, his, his, uh, his sentencing before Pontius Pilate and the Roman government, and then Calvary. And so he begins to make these statements and if you have spiritual ears to hear, one of the things that Jesus taught was that we were to take up our cross and follow him. And in the things that the Lord went through, we do see indeed pictures of what is revealed to us throughout the prophets will also be the times that are reserved for a final generation up under the heat and the scrutiny of the times in which that end-time church will live, a tribulation will occur. What he talks about here, looked at and, and peeling back the layers into a more spiritual depth of understanding, in verse 32, he talks about an hour that would come that would be so intense that, that it would produce within them a scattering. And then what is left is the Lord himself. This is a perfect picture of what the Lord revealed in Matthew 24 when he talked about iniquity abounding so that the love of many would wax cold. In essence, he's also referring, for those of you who are biblical prophecy students, to the prophecy of Zechariah. He's identifying himself with that prophecy, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. 
the shepherd being the Lord Jesus Christ, the smiting of him is his trial, his passion, and his crucifixion, causing a scattering. But in a deeper sense, the prophetic understanding at a deeper sense has revealed to us here, Jesus was the body of Christ at the time. <laughs> he embodied the fullness of the body of Christ. And in essence, what we see here as as we come into this great trial that he mentions in verse 33, calling it tribulation in the world. In this, in this first initial act of the Lord himself, who alone could go through this, he is in essence living out uh, pathways for the fullness of his body at the end of time. And, and I hope you can pause and just think about those things uh, and what I just said there, because what is revealed to us here is a separation will take place in the particular hour that he draws our attention to, right? Verse 32, he says, the hour comes and is now come. There's there's two hours here we're talking about, if you can see it. I'll just leave it at that. The one to which he fulfilled, his church will fulfill in the end. He calls it the hour of his patience. He calls it because in 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 uh, for the end of time, take a look at that. Let's just go over there real quick. In Revelation chapter three, brother Jeremy, could you read that to us? In verse ten, I think it is speaking to the Philadelphia church. He uses that phraseology again of a particular hour. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Amen. So he again, here in the book of Revelation, our attention is being drawn to a particular hour, hour of temptation or trial. That's literally what that is, of intense scrutiny. And And Jesus constantly referred to this hour. He called it the hour of darkness. He called it your hour has come. He called it the hour of my patience. What is his patience and what is that hour? It is an hour that is required uh, and represented by an hour of a short time wherein a great uh, intense tribulation and persecution will come. It's very short in its duration, but he calls it his patience precisely because uh, the patience necessary is is for the waiting of the Lord and his return at the end of time. In his sense, his patience was in waiting for his own deliverance, <laughs> which would come on the third day. All of it, if you can hear it and receive it, is linked and tied together. And one of the most egregious things of this pre-tribulation doctrine is that it has taught the church that the very tribulation and the very hour which the Lord himself spoke about would come upon all the world to try them is an hour which he also has determined that he will protect his church in many places, keeping them. As Brother Jeremy read the other day, uh, committing the keeping of your souls uh, to God uh, as unto a faithful creator. That is the keeping he's talking about the insurance of the protection of the essence of your singular personality, what makes you up. The saint of God is being preserved by Christ throughout all the generations, but particularly the end-time church joins into a fellowship, 
Paul called it the fellowship of his suffering. Now listen, where he says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come. I believe he's referencing two distinct hours there. The one that has come has come upon him results in the separation of his disciples from him. And yet he emphasizes, though I'm left alone, I am not alone. My father is always with me. And we draw strength from that, seeing that there will be those when this hour comes. And and we're nearing it, trust me. <laughs> we're getting close. How many days, Brother Marty? I don't know, but, you know, it's not looking too good right now. But it's coming because that's what the scripture says. And 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 the pretenders to the throne, so to speak, or to, to, to the church, in the church, are going to be scattered. The love of many are going to wax cold. But but those that remain in the body of Christ uh, will be kept protected and watched over um, by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, I've spoken these things to you, that in me you might have peace, verse 33, but in the world you will have peace tribulation but be glad he says because i've overcome the world i think he says that to us for many reasons but also that we would draw strength knowing that our lord did it and our lord will be with us and because he did it we also will be able to now <laughs> any thoughts on that brother <laughs> all right well, spot on Amen. Let's let's move along here because there's something else that he says, and that's in St. John chapter 17. Let's take a look at that, Brother Jeremy, if you would, real quick, and read to us yes. verse 13 through 20 and see what else the Lord teaches. Yes. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as i am not of the world i pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil brother jeremy, they are read, that not of, brother jeremy read that again slowly verse 15 listen to what the lord said here i pray that you would rapture them before any bad thing happens to them that's not what he said. No. No. What does he say here? <laughs> I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world. Yes, sir. This is where you got to go get your highlighter and highlight <laughs> that verse right there. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, this is the Lord talking to the Father for his church, his disciples. But keep reading, because if you think he's just, well, that's just them. He was talking about them. Well, let's keep reading here. What else did he say? Verse 16. Verse 16. Yes. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou yes. hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. 
And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Wow. So for those of you who would say, verse 15, that he's only talking about the apostles at that prayer, the Lord clarifies and takes it all the way to the end of time. He says, I'm not just praying for these, right? (laughs) I'm praying for them also which believe on me through their word. That means you and me, brothers and sisters. Go ahead, brother. Say something. Man, that that verse 15 just popped out. It really popped up uh, out when I just felt it like I've never seen it like that. You know, the yes. prayer that he's making, he's saying, "Look, I'm not. It's 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 a necessary thing. Persecution and tribulation. I know it seems like wow, what good can come? It's everything. It's necessary. It, it it's it's part of the making. As Jesus went through it, we are. And what is bringing upon that persecution?" And that tribulation that we will go through is the truth, is the word, is Christ Jesus. And so he's saying, I'm praying for you. Not not that you should, let me just get you rapture, like you said, right? Rapture you out of here. No. Mm-hmm. But is that, it's to keep you from the evil, right? And uh, of that. But you will conquer because of what we read in verse 33, because I have overcome the world. Yes. Amen. So it, it, it's just, I mean, there's so much, it, it, it's powerful. It's like a, it's like a jolt. Praise God. That's my two senses there. Of that. Brother Fernando, what were you going to say? No, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at verse 13 too, where it says, uh, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. You know, that that right there is, is, I think, key in what we're talking about. Um, and this is, again, for those who, who are following along, this is Jesus speaking. You know, he he is he is the, the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah. He is the one that, that, that gives us the faith that we believe. He's clearly saying here that hard times are coming, and he and he's later on going to set the example. Because yeah, he yeah. was the ultimate martyr, right? right? right. He 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 went to the cross and died. So he was about to. So the disciples didn't really know the depths of what he was praying. But right. in essence, in essence, he was really saying, "Man, Lord, prepare these guys because they have no clue what's coming." <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and 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 sanctify them through Thy Word. Thy Word is truth. And it speaks to us today that he never prayed, Lord, deliver them from the evil day that's coming. Right. No. He said, Lord, they're going to be in the earth. When does evil come? But I pray that you keep them and protect them to endure and persevere till the end. That's a starting point. Yes. to, to, To understanding the end times. Anything that comes against that prayer of our Lord has to be checked. Amen. That's a good way to put it. 
it, it, it's a test. What Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 says, is to prove. And with this, what we're not saying is that, oh, it's, so it's dependent on how much you suffer and go through stuff. No, no, no. The tribulation is part of the test. That the, the real test is, will you keep the truth? Will you remain in it? That's the test. Yeah. Am I saying that? Hopefully I'm saying it right. That's that's yeah. the yeah. test. That's what the proving is, is will you keep his word? Yes. Right? And Amen. I don't know. That, that's... <laughs> no, I mean, this is this is so, uh, pro, you know, profound, man. Because, I mean, really, if you look at verse 12, let's just look at that real quick. Brother Jeremy, could you read verse 12? And, and let's look at it from, a, from, from, a, from that, you know, revelation point of view. In verse 12, can you read that? While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. But the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So what we have here, if you again, if you can hear it, and if you can see it, yeah. remember we, we uh, several months ago we talked about the, you know just how awesome the apostle John was is and how he wrote. But notice what the Lord says because he's talking about that keeping that protection, uh, but then he ties it to uh, a type of the Antichrist, which is Judas, right? Right. The only one that's yeah. going to be lost is him. And as we go along this week, what we're going to find is that the, that the impetus for the second coming of the Lord is all about coming to destroy uh, the Antichrist and his kingdom. He comes specifically to deal with him and exercise wrath upon his kingdom. He is the son of the devil. He will cast the devil into the bottomless pit, as we're told, for a thousand years, but he will cast the beast, the son of perdition, and the false prophet into the lake of fire forever and ever. That's the first thing he's going to do. But as we'll go along in our studies this week, Lord willing, we will show you by the scriptures how that that's what draws him to the earth. And it's, an, it's a definite period of time. It's a limited period of time, 42 months in total. And, and so what we are seeing here and what the Lord goes on to what he is praying here is so incredibly uh, deep. <laughs> I, I mean, for, I don't even have the words, man, but, but look at what he talks about in verse 13. He says, and now I am come to thee. He's talking to the Father. This is his last prayer. And like Brother Fernando pointed out, it is not without note that what he's revealing to us here is just before he goes to Gethsemane. Right, where he he endures a, a a miniature picture for us when we look back and reflect upon it. Although, trust me, it was more than a miniature picture of anything. It was the contest of all the ages. But I mean, he goes into Gethsemane and and as the full embodiment of the church, uh, you know, the the body of Christ Himself in the garden, uh, he begins to come up under a scrutiny and a, and a trial that is seeking to pull his will away from the will of the Father. That is the word of his patience. He had to endure. He learned what obedience, right, through the things that he endured or suffered and went through. But he had to go into that scrutiny. 
But before he goes there, he's laying out this prayer and revealing so much to us as we've been seeing. But he talks about, I'm coming to you, as he's speaking to the Father. He says this very powerfully. He says, I, uh, these things I'm speaking in the world. Why? That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Listen to this. Because what do we know about the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord, the scripture tells us, is our strength. And so what he's literally saying is what I'm revealing here is so that they will have my strength, my joy fulfilled in themselves. They're going to need it. I'm speaking it in the world. That word world is much more than just the planet. He's literally talking about all substantive matter the universe itself. This is how high of a prayer this is. This is what he is drawing our attention to, the big picture. That's why he goes on and talks about keeping us from the evil. The evil is Satan himself and what he's done to destroy a pristine, beautiful expression called the universe itself, where he once traversed freely as a highly blessed and the highest blessed angel of Almighty God, the anointed cherub. He's referencing these things. And and what we're speaking of right now is not for the rookie. But if you'll <laughs> if you'll pursue it, you'll see some incredibly extraordinary things are being revealed here. And so this is why at this level we can then begin to understand when he says in verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the cosmos, <laughs> out of the world, but that you'll keep them or protect them from the cancer that's infected it, the devil himself. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 16, they're not of the cosmos. That's a profound thought. That harkens back to us having our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the cosmos. This is a grand and glorious, magnificent plan and purpose Amen. and will of Almighty God. And so he wants us to understand it at that level. And, and, and we need to understand it at that level because this is the final words our Lord is praying before he goes to Calvary. Oh, uh, to, yes. <laughs> so the Lord then leads us to Gethsemane. Now let's let's return back to Second Thessalonians chapter one. Would you, Brother Jeremy? Read to us again verse three and four with what we're discussing, in light of what we're discussing. And that's uh Second Thessalonians two or chapter one. Uh chapter one, verse three and four. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is me, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all towards each other abounded, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure and a little side note for those of those who claim that israel is the exclusive focus of the seven tri year tribulation period uh 
I want you to note that, that the Thessalonian brothers and sisters, they're a foreshadow of the end time church, but remember, they're Gentiles. They're Gentiles, not just Jews. Yeah. Remember what it says in Revelation twelve seventeen, right? It says that the devil has come down to you knowing that he has a short time, and then he goes forth to make war uh, with the saints. And they're categorized as two different distinct groups, those that keep the commandments of God and those that have the testimony of Jesus. That's Israel and the church. The church is made up of both Jew and Gentile. But here we're dealing with the Thessalonians as a foreshadow of the end-time church, and they are a Gentile bride. I find it incredibly fascinating in verse 3 where he talks about their faith growing exceedingly. And that faith is growing even though they're up under persecution, tribulation, and something that is they're being required to, as something they're being required to endure. This is, this is something we can draw strength from. Because you would think the exact opposite. The more tribulation, the more persecution, our faith would be shipwrecked. Oh, my God, I can't deal with this. But here we see a beautiful type of that glorious church in the beginning as it shall be in the end. The persecution, the tribulation that has begun and is yet to come will only cause those who love the Lord for their faith to grow even more. Why? Because they know what it means that the coming of the Lord is at hand. And what Paul revealed to them, he's he's revealing to us. Read to us, uh, Brother Jeremy, would you, uh, verse 4, 5, and 6. So that we ourselves glory in you, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith, in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Seeing it, it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. It is so profound. What, <laughs> I can't think of a better word. It is so profound what Paul uh, is revealing here and, and is also revealing to us. He's telling them that what you're experiencing actually transcends into a higher truth. He calls it a manifest token, proof text, if you will, of why God's judgment is righteous. Such thinking is so difficult for all of us, but it is required meditation in order to comprehend, if, if, if by the grace of the Holy Spirit we can be elevated into that kind of true spirituality, because he's drawing them into an understanding that it is the part that they are appointed to, that they literally are the reason that the righteous judgment will come upon the world for it persecutes his church who is guiltless and has been washed in the blood of the lamb. And the fact that it with in viciousness turns on it, Paul says, understand you are the very reason that judgment will come upon the world because you belong to Jesus and you have yeah. to be seated, right? within the context of history and prophetic fulfillment as an object lesson. Isn't that what he said yeah. through Noah? Do you yeah. guys remember that? Go ahead. 
Is that what you're thinking of, brother? No. Uh, well, that too, but what you're saying is so powerful. It, 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 the Lord is saying, basically, you, you are an, an object. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Evidence. <laughs> yeah. For why, for why I need to, for why I am going to pour out wrath. He's not just going to pour out the wrath, his wrath on the earth, just because he's angry. There's, there's something in particular that is precious in his sight, and, and the Word of God tells us that the, the death of the, of the saints of God is precious in the sight of God. That is, that kind of persecution is what's going to justify. The, the wrath of God yes. that will be poured out upon the world is so powerful. Yes. Yeah, at the end of time. Um, yeah, so it's important to understand it because it, it, that that's something that you need to write down because I think we'll come back to it. You get to the book of Revelation, you know, if you yeah. get into the fifth seal and so forth and so on, it, it, you're going to see everything begin to connect. So it's important to hold on to what to 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 this truth that was just declared, um, you know, and then you'll understand why God is pouring out His wrath, and and things will begin to make more sense. Yeah, and and he, and he says uh, that you might be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Mm. Right, and right. and it it's incredible because he he again reorients their thinking. There's a prize to be had here. And there are many that are called, Jesus told us, but it's the few that are chosen from generation to generation. Every generation has had to experience, that is the true church, has had to experience its share of trial and testing. But like the early church, there is a fellowship with the end-time church that is in many ways, unique to their specific time periods. And I look at it this way, where he says that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Uh, it's almost as if, uh, I, I think of it this way, like like if if you, you didn't know, you know, let's say you showed up with some guy and nobody knew him and they didn't want to let him in. And you vouch for him and said, man, I wouldn't have made it through if it wasn't for this guy right here. And he, and then everybody turns and looks and says, okay, let him in. Because he endured and, and, and brought our brother home to us uh, through much trial and tribulation. It's that kind of an idea where he says, look, you've been through a lot. But when you reach the, the pearly gates, as they say, oh, my gosh, the Lord himself will point at you and say, he's worthy, she's worthy of the kingdom of God. They suffered for me. They stood in the Amen. face of, of incredible opposition. And when others fled, which we see in type in the garden, right, when the Lord himself took upon himself all the pressure of every church from that point, past, present, and future, there were those who fled, um, but there will be those who don't. There's a John, there's a Mark, right? I mean, there's a Peter who follows along. I mean, all of them came back together, but in type, what we're talking about here, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, and that is why you suffer. That's what he wants us to understand. 
And that is what the American church needs to begin to understand. We say this with tears in our eyes because <laughs> there are many who won't be able to handle it. One, they've been brought into a mega church system where everything is cotton candy and feather dusters, like we've been saying. Or as, as the, the preacher of Mario Murillo says, uh, the evangelist, what's his name? Mario Murillo. He says, uh, the churches of today became, uh, what was it? Uh, the screens and jeans and, wait, so, <laughs> fog, yeah. video screens, fog machines, and skinny fog jeans. Machines, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that crowd. Yeah, <laughs> that crowd, brother. And and it, 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 there ain't no way. And and who holds the the uh, the guilt over that? Who 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 has the greatest shame? Are the preachers who came out of the system that produced that kind of ridiculousness? But there is a remnant that God is waking up, and you are those that we started out talking about. Uh, early on when we talked about this sense of unease, this this sense of a shadow growing over the face of the planet in our nation, the waters are troubled and many are uncertain. And the voices that we once looked to as, as paragons of prophetic understanding, suddenly their teachings are falling by the wayside as things increasingly get worse and their doctrine isn't holding up under the scrutiny of the times. See, this has right. been an insidious, a deceptive strategy to shipwreck the faith of many. Brother Marty, uh, uh, the Apostle uh, Paul dealt. The Apostle Paul dealt with these kind of preachers in his day. You know, he said in First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter two, verse four. He said, "But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men." So there was men pleasers teachers that mm -hmm. were men pleasers that had penetrated the church but god which trieth our hearts for neither at any time use we flattering words doesn't that sound like the modern day preacher of the day <laughs> yeah he says, uh, he says as ye know nor a cloak of covetousness god is witness in other words we didn't we didn't come here to take your money right yeah <laughs> <laughs> the same thing that's going on. Like we didn't get, we didn't be. I didn't want to be your buddy, buddy, so I could take your money. That's what he's saying. Yeah. No. Right. He says. He said. Nor of men sought we glory. Hmm. Doesn't that sound like? I mean, just go look around at, at the ministries and who they're named after. Mm -hmm. they're their own names. Mm -hmm. Their own names. Right. He yeah. says neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. In other words, he's saying, look, I can, as, as an apostle, I can demand from you, you know, what's rightfully of the Lord. Yes. But he says the, the situation is so bad, you know, that, that I, ha I have to come to you contrary to what the, the modern-day preacher is saying <laughs> and preaching. Yes. So if they're asking for money, I'm going to come to you and ask for nothing. I'm not going to be a burden to you. Praise God. Be think Praise about that now. Yeah. He says, but yeah. we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children, as a mother nurse nurses her children. That's what we're doing. That's what, yeah. that's what the Lord is telling us to do. Right? We, we spoke about these things. How, how do we, you know, go about 
teaching the children of God, the word of God. What Now, can we put demand? Sure. But we don't. Why? Because then we're going to fall in line with everything else that they're seeing and hearing on Christian television. Yes. Sadly. Right. Sadly, right? Yes. So think about that now. This is the 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 environment in the church, right? The 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 that's that's being created by these false preachers, and, and into this comes the Apostle Paul, <laughs> right? Very similar, very similar yeah. to what's taking place today. It's eerie. It is very similar, and so we've been laying this you know foundation today because we want to show the proof text first of all. That those who teach that the church will be taken out of here and we won't have to go through anything, that is uniquely really has come to rest here in, in America and has so distorted the truth of the gospel. I want to, as we as we wind this down today, I, I wanted to read a, a few little things here before we close. And, and, and one of them is this, uh, again, this article. Brother Jeremy shared a little bit of it a couple of weeks back, but... Uh, it, it, it comes from uh, from uh, WorldPress.com. It's uh, a, a lady by the name of uh, Sarah Musing, <laughs> uh, but she in her writing she she quoted uh, Corey Ten Boom, and I want to read a little bit of what Corey Ten Boom said back in 1974. Now, um, this is what she said, uh, which led her to speak about the pre-tribulation rapture. Uh, she said that the doctrine that is widely taught in American churches today, in a letter she wrote in 1974 entitled Prepare for the Coming of the Tribulation, she wrote, there are some among us teaching that there will be no tribulation, that the Christians will be able to escape all this. These are the false teachers. Made me think of you, Brother Jeremy. These are those false teachers that Jesus was warning us to expect in the latter days. Most of them have little knowledge of what is already going on across the world. Corey said, I've, I've, I've been in countries where the saints are already suffering persecution. In America, the church is saying, let the congregation escape tribulation. <laughs> but in China, the tribulation has already arrived. This last year alone, more than 200,000 Christians were martyred in Africa alone. Now, things like that never get into the newspapers because they cause bad political relations. But I know, I've been there, she said. And we need to think about that when we sit down in our nice houses with our nice clothes on to eat our nice steak dinners. Many, many members of the body of Christ are being tortured to death at this very moment, yet we continue right on as though we're all going to escape the tribulation. He said that in 1974. And uh, regarding uh, what happened to the Christians uh, in China, who were taught the same type of teaching. See, this doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, it went all the way across the world. And it, it came to the Christians of China, which a lot reminds me of what's happening in the United States today. It came to the Christians in China uh, before Mao overthrew China and implemented that demonic doctrine of communism. They were being taught uh, that they were about to be raptured. And regarding what happened to the Christians in China who were taught the same type of teaching back 
before the Communist Revolution in 1949, she said this. She said, in China, the Christians were told, uh, don't worry. I think this is what Brother Jeremy read to us. Don't worry. Before the tribulation comes, you'll be translated, raptured out of here. But then came a terrible persecution. Millions of Christians were tortured to death. Later, she recorded, I heard a bishop from China sadly say, we have failed. We should have made the people strong for the persecution rather than telling them that Jesus would come first. Tell the people how to be strong in times of persecution, how to stand when the tribulation comes, to stand and not faint. I feel I have a divine mandate to go and tell the people of this world that it is possible to be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in training for the tribulation. But more than 60% of the body of Christ across the world has already entered that tribulation. There is no way to escape it. We are next. So she said, in America, our Christianity is soft. It's easy Christianity, right, for teachings that endorse a pre-tribulation view of the rapture. But that's not what Miss Timboom said. You see, we've been sold a, a soft and easy Christianity com compared to those millions who are severely persecuted around the world. Uh, that not only doesn't require much from us, but it also promises that we'll be raptured before the really awful stuff starts. Sounds like what the Chinese Christians heard before communism took over in 1949 and the widespread torture and murder of the Christians was proliferated. Even today, living as a Christian in China, China is daunting. I believe, like Corey Tenboom, uh, that she was right, and indeed, it will come to our shores. That was 1974. Persecution uh, of Christians, right? Go ahead, brother. What were you going to say? No, uh, just just contemplating the words that she was saying way back then. Yeah, and you know what? Incredible. What she, you, you know, brother, what it made me think of is what we're hap what's happening in the United States right now. For right. anybody that's been paying attention, we are literally seeing the great republic, this free republic, shake shake into its very core. But what we are seeing is what the what the globalists are calling the great global reset. What we are seeing is the rise of that Chinese communist dragon and that socialist-driven old Roman empire on the other side of the ocean in Europe or in the Far East in China, encroaching upon the American society. And it is appearing more as each day goes by more and more that every single strata, every single lever, every single foundational functioning part and aspect of our culture and society from the very top levels of our government to even the school boards and, and, and teachers in our high schools and universities and everywhere in between, our judicial systems, our educational systems, our legislative systems, we are, our, our, uh, our, uh, <clears throat> our intelligence communities, our military apparatus, all of it is being exposed over the last several, 2020 really, but in earnest since this election, it is frighteningly being made apparent that there are two forces at, at play here, and there is a whole host of people in those institutions that beyond our ability to even imagine that it be so, that they have thrown their hat in the ring 
for the sake of multiple reasons, whether it be greed or just flat out lust for power or, or, or selling their soul to the devil, either way they've done it, our country is being absolutely overrun. Unless you yeah. think we're being, right? <laughs> Unless you think we're being overdramatic, that's what they said in communist China in 1949. I believe Miss Tinboom was released, like we just read, precisely so that she could stand as a voice echoing down through the final decades of the history yeah. of this great republic in the world to tell us what was coming and that we needed yeah. to train, right? See, right. persecution of the church is coming to the United States. It's already begun. I read an article this morning as well from February of 2001. Now think of this. This is just before 9-11. It was written by Thomas Horn, and you can find it on worthynews.com. The title of his article was Persecution of Christians Growing in the United States. That was, about, that was 19 years ago. Listen to some of the things he said. According, uh, Let me read you this. He says, more Christians die for their faith in the 20th century than at any other time in history, for those pre-tribulationists who say that we weren't going to go through anything, listen to this, more Christians died for their faith in the 20th century than at any other time in history, says the Christian Solidarity International uh, Global Report. Reports indicated that over 150,000 Christians were martyred last year, chiefly outside the United States. However, statistics are changing. Persecution of Christians is on the increase in the United States. What is happening to bring about this change? According to some experts, a pattern is emerging which is reminiscent of the Jewish persecution in post-war Germany. Isolation and discrimination against Christians is growing most geometrically, according to Don McElvaney of the Midnight Herald. This is the way it started in Germany against the Jews. As they became more right. isolated, right, and more marginalized by the Nazi propaganda machine, as popular hatred and prejudice against the Jews increased amongst the German people, wholesale persecution followed. Could this be where the growing anti-Christian consensus in America is taking us? This is this. Uh, There are those who are now saying we don't need God. We can be good without God. The entertainment industry, syndicated media is increasingly vilifying Christians, labeling them as sewer rats, vultures, wow. simple-minded social ingrates. And in 2016, we were labeled as deplorables. <laughs> Listen to this. And I remember this. In the 90s, the FBI and the Clinton White House uh, branded fundamentalist Christian groups as hate mongers and potential terrorists. That's what they call us. Then when I was reading that this morning, I thought about what actually happened. I don't know how old you guys were back then, but... Uh, in 1992, those of you who are old enough in our audience to remember, we began to see a move and a conditioning where where we began to see the government move toward uh, people and, and, and people who, who wanted to be isolated for their faith. I remember uh, something that was called Ruby Ridge. I don't know if you all remember that in August of 92. 
that was Randy Weaver and, and his wife and his two children and their dog. They lived up in Idaho. And and they were simply those who didn't want to have to, they wanted to live off the grid. They wanted to homeschool their children. I remember the major media back then uh, labeling them white separatists. Listen to the language. They wanted to use that inflammatory language. They weren't white supremacists. They weren't white nationalists. They called them white separatists, knowing that people's minds would, would link them to supremacy and nationalism, right? Uh, you know, this this apartheid kind of mentality, but they called them separatists. All they were simply were, were, were white people who wanted to raise their kids in the fear and the admonition of God. Their compound was raided by the FBI. His wife, his pregnant wife was shot through the head. His 14-year-old son was murdered trying to get his dog that was barking at the woods, and they had no idea that the FBI and the ATF were out there training their sights on this innocent family. Then when Clinton became president, do you remember Waco, right, 1993? Yes, sir. You had had that that Seventh-day Adventist group with David Koresh as their leader. Well, he was horrible. Well, he may have been. But the point of the matter is, is that the entire fury of the United States government came upon a compound of people, and they burned it to the ground with 80 people inside, 20 of which were innocent little children. Their crime, their crime was that they believed in prophecy and the end of the world. That's how they played them up, as some sort of cult, some sort of crazy, you know, wacko people because they believed in the second coming of the Lord. That was 2001, where we are today. It's it's really interesting to me because what we began to see emerge over the summer, if you remember, through these uh, so-called peaceful protests, <laughs> uh, if you remember and we're paying attention, we began to see uh, things turning up that hearkened very symbolically so uh, to the Jacobin Revolution in France. When we had the Revolutionary War is when that Jacobin Revolution was taking place in France. And while citizens in America rejoiced during the Revolutionary War in their religious liberty and freedom, more than 20,000 people died in Paris at the same time through the guillotines where they beheaded Christians. That's what they were doing in France. And the years that followed that in France brought a reign of terror, uh, which led to, to Napoleon. And like I said, did you yeah. notice how this this summer they were putting guillotines out in front of the White House? They were bringing guillotines out in the streets. The forces behind the French Revolution were out to eliminate Christianity as the enemy of France. They even took a statue of a nude woman and placed it at the altar in the Church of Notre Dame. And the God of the Bible was proclaimed dead. And soon afterward, the French government collapsed. From this article I was reading, is the Fabian process of gradualism taking modern America down a similar path? Perhaps. For the past five decades, Americans have allowed the liberal left to defend the use of public funds for pornography, explicit sex education, and anti-Christian curriculum. The Hollywood elite have denigrated Christian values and mocked the virtues of purity. 
The highest courts in the land are ruled with contemptuous decree against God, against prayer, against the free expression of religion. Is it any wonder that we have become the most profane and violent society in the industrialized world? America's founding fathers understood that all government is based on either a theistic or an anti-theistic foundation. Adepts of history like George Washington understood that countries whose systems of government embrace national anti-theistic views, they ultimately come to ruin. I read this thing today on a Supreme Court ruling. Check this out. 1892. The United States. This is the America of 1892. In 1892, this was argued before the Supreme Court of the United States. And after, uh, you know, exhaustive deliberation, this is what the Supreme Court said. Our laws, our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense, and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are unequivocally and emphatically Christian. Supreme Court of the United States, 1892. Now they remove the Ten Commandments. Now they legislate the killing of unborn children. Now they take prayers out of school. This is where we have come, church. And this is what is going to happen in the days that are ahead. It is what we've been discussing today and laying that foundation that, like we said earlier, I believe that the scrutiny of the times is taking the mask off this doctrine that has put an entire church to sleep and allowed great compromise to flood the land. And hence, we stand right on the brink need I say, of a 1949 China as it come to the United States? Do our freedoms indeed hang in the balance? Has persecution come to the shores of the United States of America? Time will tell, but I think the Bible has warned us, and what we looked at today laid the foundation and the pretext for the preparation of our spirit, soul, and body for the days that are ahead. Tomorrow we'll pick it up from here. Because there is a rapture. There is a rescue. There is a great moment that is coming. And Brother Jeremy, that's what I want you to close with, if you could, in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, uh, chapter 1, excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 7 through 10. Would you read that for us? Amen. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. This is where we'll pick it up again from tomorrow. He tells them 
do not be troubled, but rest with us. Because he's saying what this is leading to is that the return of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes with his mighty angels to take vengeance. It's a twofold thing that he reveals there. In verse 10, he, he concludes it with, he's coming to execute wrath, but he's also coming to be glorified in his saints. He's coming to get us, church. And like we have been looking at and discussing, we need to prepare. We need to understand the times, And we need to take solace in the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit, as Brother Jeremy said so beautifully yesterday in the scripture he quoted, he that hath this hope purifies himself. We need his strength, his grace, and his mercy to do so. Time is running out, church, especially in this country. We don't lay any heavy trip on someone that may believe in a different way than we do. But we are saying what we are saying based on the word of God. And we've quoted multiple scriptures to you and given you additional uh, you know, testimony from saints of God from the days gone by that have warned us and told us what they saw and what they believed as well. Ultimately, what we're trying to say is that we are headed into these times and they've already begun. Parallels are striking. History is indeed repeating itself with the only difference being that we've come to the end of history quite possibly. However long those days are ahead of us, they are yet coming. But they have begun. For the spiritually adept and those who walk with the Lord, you know in your spirit these are not like times that have ever been before. And what is blatantly being decreed across all major media platforms that are controlled by that spirit of Antichrist is that their desire is to enslave the world, to break apart the people of the earth into two classes, a ruling elite governed by uh, an anti-God, anti-Christian, anti-Jewish bias, and the rest of the planet. This is Antichrist. This is revealed in God's word. And tomorrow we'll begin from there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, where he begins to talk about our gathering together unto him. It's all about timing. He is coming. And that is our blessed hope. In the meantime, let us draw strength from the Lord's prayer, right? He said, I pray that you would not take them out of the world but that you would keep them from the evil. Praise you, Lord. We hope you join us again tomorrow. Brother Jeremy, Brother Fernando, is there anything else you'd like to share before we conclude? Man, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's uh, comforting. It's comforting. That's what, I've, that, that's what I've sensed is the more we study this, to you that are listening, because I, I, I can relate to you in the sense that I, I grew up with this teaching, you know, and that's the way I was raised. That's all I knew. But now in understanding the word of God, it brings strength. And that's what we want, that this word will bring strength to your heart, that no matter what we got to go through, we know that he has conquered the world and he did it first. And we will too. We pray, as Brother Marty says, that you've been blessed and that you join us tomorrow. As we continue to study the word of God, may God bless you, may God keep you, and as always, keep 
looking up 